We're just taking on the one verse here tonight. That's Ephesians 6 and verse 12. Last week we were looking at 10 and 11. Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of His might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. So that was our text for last one. And we saw that we need to know the wiles or the schemes, or as uh, the Greek actually means, if you know the road that the enemy is taking, you should be able to stay off of it, or the path, the direction. But here in Ephesians chapter 12, he continues on, For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. So why does Paul start off telling us about what we don't fight against instead of what we do fight against? It would seem to me that he's telling us that in the area of spiritual battles, we tend to fight the wrong things. So the first exhortation is don't fight the wrong thing. Don't fight the flesh and blood because this is not where the battle is. So this is why we're taking a look at this. We're just cutting it down to just this one verse. And we're not even pulling everything out that I really want to out of 12. Just enough things here for tonight. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. Now the word there for wrestle is the Greek word pale. It is a wrestling, a struggle for victory. One definition I saw in this was often a heated, intense, and often personal effort. A personal effort. The uh, word we, we know of, the palestra, you hear about the palestra, or a palestra. This is not a place of training like a gymnasium. That would be a Greek word too, but a place of contact sports. This is a place where they would have the demonstration. And in Paul's day, there were only three types of sports that they had. It's much like if you uh, lived here in Philly for a long time, if you heard the, t- the term the spectrum, well, I would immediately bring to mind certain sports. You knew that basketball, hockey, uh, I guess lacrosse was in there, the certain indoor soccer, certain indoor sports that would be played in there, they would come to mind. You didn't think of baseball, when you heard the term spectrum, you thought of these particular sports that were there. They would think of their particular sports, none of which are practiced in exactly the same way as today. Uh, that would have been wrestling, boxing, and another one called pancration. So I did some looking up on, on these. If you've ever heard Rick Renner on these, he's very descriptive on the wrestling and the boxing. That the res- wrestling, uh, it could result in death, there were a lot of things that were legal, and when we think of wrestling, we don't think of eye gouging was okay, and so you would take your finger, if you could, and get it into the eye and blind the opponent, and that way they were not as uh, uh, able to fight you if you were able to get that done. Breaking of bones was okay. There were a lot of things that we would think that wouldn't be all right. One of the, the goals, uh, there's one of the, the, the best moves that they liked Apparently was uh, tossing your opponent up in the air and snapping their vertebrae on your knee on the way down. And then, of course, they would be easy to pin and they would be that would be over. Uh, Boxing was not what we think about boxing. They didn't have boxing gloves. They would have leather straps. They would tie around their their arms down into their fists inside the leather straps. 
or and they would be sticking out, but they'd be held on by the leather straps. You would have razors, you would have nails, you would have sharp objects, and uh, with these things you could cut your opponent, you could do some, some major damage. So you could come out of these battles very, very different. The third one, Pen Pancrantion, I've heard uh, Brother Rick talk about this. I can't find the exact description that he gives any place else. I do find another description repeated in many places that talk about history of the uh, Greek games, that uh, Pancrantion is an ancient martial art which mixes wrestling and boxing. And the sport can be traced back as far as the second millennium B.C. in ancient Greece. It comes from the Greek words pan, which means all, and kratos, which means strength, might, or power. power. So it literally means all of the might. In 648 B.C., the Pancration was introduced as a sport event in the 33rd Olympic Games, where it joined boxing and wrestling in a category called heavy events. It was a special group of sports reserved for the very best of the athletes with the greatest strength and stamina. That was a dangerous sport in which everything was permitted except biting, gouging, stabbing with your finger in the opponent's eye, nose, or mouth, and attacking of genitals. Just as the other combat sports umpires were there, they were watching over the event and they were ready to punish the offenders who went against the rules. All holds from wrestling and all blows from boxing could be used. The danger of getting wounded, though, was smaller than with boxing because pancratists weren't, uh, normally weren't able to wear hard gloves. Now, there were two forms of pancration. There was upright, in which you lost when you touched the ground three times, and ground pancration, in which you could fight on the ground and lost only by submission. Most of the times that this was done in the games, it was a second form where it was on the ground and you had to be, um, you lost by submission. It was a crowd favorite sport and there was a lot of military uh, training that was based on this. In fact, it is told that Alexander the Great had given priority status to any recruit in his army who had this uh, kind of training. They were better soldiers. Uh, you were able to do hand-to-hand -hand combat a lot more. The closest thing we have to it is our uh, mixed martial arts of today. Now, he starts with that we don't wrestle against, which would indicate that the greatest pitfall is taking this on. The greatest pitfall in spiritual warfare is taking on flesh and blood instead of the spiritual principalities that are behind it. So how easy is it to become distracted? If, we, if the enemy can get us distracted to get us out of the spiritual battle, out of the battling the spiritual forces in a spiritual battle, then our efforts are going to be going in the wrong direction. If our efforts are going in the wrong direction, we will certainly be easier to defeat. So what is the pull into the wrong realm of warfare? I think the biggest pull is urgency. Just as, as it is in organizing your day, if you're going to put your day together, the biggest enemy to you getting things done in a day is urgency. Somebody else's urgency, somebody else has a problem, they call you up, I need you to help me with this, I need you to handle this, 
and so their urgency became your urgency, or you feel this thing is urgent, you feel the need to get this thing done, so you do that particular thing, but you didn't do what you had set out to do or what you was important to do, and that all gets pushed off. Very often, urgent things get priority over the important things. And I've talked about it before, but when I was taught time management, you divided your uh, tasks into four quadrants. And those four quadrants were highlighted by two particular things. That which is important was on one side, and that which was urgent is on the other. So the best quadrant to work in, if you are planning your day, are those things that are neither urgent, or not, and I'm sorry, not urgent, but are important. That is the best quadrant. That's where you should spend most of your day. Most people spend most of their day on what is urgent, but not important. You're going to have those things that are important and urgent. The trick is in time management to get yourself to the place where you can foresee them and hit the urgent, I'm sorry, hit the important before it becomes urgent. But in the realm of the spirit, very often we are pulled off of what is important because of what is urgent. This is why we get sidetracked into the more of the physical realm instead of the spiritual. I make a note in your outline. Waves tend to be urgent. Wind, not so much. The disciples battled the waves. They battled what was urgent. They battled what was bringing the problem into the boat. Jesus didn't deal with the waves. He dealt with the wind, which is what was the cause of the wave. If you can deal with the cause, you can stop the waves from coming in. I put another blank in your outline. I'm not filling that one in, though. That's for you. I feel better when I do what? There are many times that people feel better if I have this confession. I feel better if I sing these songs. I feel better if I pray in the Spirit. We feel better. There are certain things we feel better if we do them, but it doesn't necessarily mean it's what's needed. We're satisfying our, our flesh in that, in that area. We have to get the urgency in our spirit, the uh, importance in our spirit. The Spirit of God will be saying, this is important. This is what you need to tend to. Just like when Jesus came to the disciples and told them what was important was praying. But what was urgent? Sleeping. There was an urgency to sleeping, and so that took priority over what was important. Jesus knew they were tired, but that's not what they needed to do. The important thing was that they would be praying, but I feel better if I just get a little bit of rest right now. And this is a problem that some Christians have. There's something that we have on the inside of us. I feel better if I do this, if I act this way, if I go this direction. But that doesn't mean the Spirit of God was leading you there or that that particular thing will help you change the problem at all. So again, Ephesians 6.12, For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood. Now, I stop there on this for a little bit because I think, you know, we read this, this scripture and we think, for we do not wrestle against flesh and blood. So I began to pull back on this and just begin to, to think on this. What is an example that I can use that gives me a picture of what it is to wrestle against flesh and blood? We hear the phrase, we know the phrase, but can I actually materialize this into something that this is what wrestling against flesh and blood is. This is what we're told not to do. Because if I can't visualize it, 
I probably won't be able to recognize it and fight against it. These are the forces, or the force behind what comes against us in the natural, are not always as immediately obvious, but are what we need to focus on. There are forces that are behind some of the things that you face in the natural, but they won't always jump out at you. You won't always see them. Some of the examples, you can write these in if you, if you want to. Jesus speaking to the waves in Matthew 8 and Luke 8. We already mentioned that one. The disciples casting out the demon in a, in a case of epilepsy. That was in Mark chapter 9. And when Jesus spoke to the fever in Luke chapter 4. These are just a few examples where what seems to be the problem, the disciples with the waves, the disciples with the epilepsy, and Jesus with uh, Peter's mother-in-law with the fever. They didn't deal with what was right in front of them. They didn't deal with the flesh and blood that was right in front of them. They saw to uh, deal with something that was, that was greater, something that was more important. And Jesus spoke to the fever and left. Most people that were there may not have realized that that was even something that needed to be done. But he did. He spoke to the, spoke to the fever, and we know that it, it, uh, it helped things out. The fever left. Sometimes we are treating the fever, we're cooling the, the forehead, we're doing natural things, and it's, and it's not that you can't, but that's not what's going to change the situation here. So I went through the Bible just in my, in my head to try and go through this. Who battled flesh and blood instead of something spiritual? Who went after the battle and did something in the, in the flesh and blood area? instead of something spiritual. So one example I came up with was Moses. He was called to be a deliverer. That was a spiritual call. There was a spiritual issue that was there to deliver the children of Israel from the bondage of Egypt. But he goes and he battles the flesh and fails. He sees one of the Egyptians uh, abusing one of the Israelites, and so he comes against them, and he killed the man. And that's, uh, that, was in the, that was in the natural. God didn't call him to be a deliverer to go in flesh and blood through his own strength defeat the, the enemy this way. There was a spiritual battle. There was a spiritual hold that was there that had endured four centuries. And God needed to break that. So he was called to be a deliverer from that. He came back and battled Pharaoh's attitude and pride. You remember the, that in the beginning? And he felt defeated because when he did this and uh, performed what God had done, the situation got worse. And so the flesh and blood part got worse, and he felt defeated. He felt like he didn't do it right. He didn't feel like he was the guy to do this. But God's, God was doing something greater. God was doing battle with the gods behind Egypt or the principalities and powers. This is who he was doing battle with. And he said, we're not going to have that victory because of a snake in a leper's hand. We're going to have this victory by taking on each one of these battles. And so you know the story of, of Moses, how the ten plagues, each one went against one of the gods, the Nile being the first one that was taken on. They worshipped the Nile. So he took on that god and showed, I am god of the Nile. Then he went on and, and took some of the animals that they worshipped, and he, I am god of these things. And so all, all of these things that they worshipped, he began to take on in a battle until we finally got to the tenth one, and that's the one that God said, this is the one that's going to drive him out. 
But once he finally got to the place where he was dealing with this on a spiritual level, we didn't see Moses get discouraged anymore. Another situation here was Abraham and Sarah. Since our flesh won't make a baby, let's use Hagar. And so in Genesis chapter 16, we see that this is the direction that they went. They took on a spiritual battle. There was a spiritual uh, battle was going on for them getting pregnant because the devil knew through this is how God is going to bless the world. And so we've got to stop it. And so he was involved in stopping it. And they said, well, let's just uh, bypass that and go this way with Hagar. And they didn't have any problem making that work because there's no spiritual battle on that. That's not who the promised child was to, to come through. But they did that anyway. So that was them engaging their flesh, taking on a spiritual battle, and instead of fighting this thing in the spirit, they fought it in the natural. They fought it as it was flesh and blood. A third one, and we're going to go to 1 Kings 11 on this one. God promised an enduring kingdom to Jeroboam if, and he put a couple of this in there, let's read those. 1 Kings 11:37. So I will take you, and you shall reign over all your heart desires, and you shall be king over Israel. Then it shall be, if you heed all that I command you, walk in my ways and do what is right in my sight to keep my statutes and my commandments as my servant David did, then I will be with you and build for you an enduring house as I built for David and will give Israel to you. So I will take you and you shall reign. There's the promise. I will take you. You shall reign. You shall be king over Israel. But in verse 38, this is where the ifs come in. It shall be if you heed all that I command you. Walk in my ways and do what is right in my sight. To keep my statutes and my commandments as my servant David did, then I will be with you and build for you an enduring house. What Jeroboam decides to try and do is to build the enduring house, which is a spiritual promise, a spiritual battle, so to speak, and instead of doing it in the spirit, let's do it in the flesh. Let's do it in the natural. In 1 Kings 12 and 26. And Jeroboam said in his heart, Now if the kingdom may return to the house of David, no, I'm sorry, now the kingdom may return to the house of David, if these people go to offer sacrifices in the house of the Lord at Jerusalem, then the heart of this people will turn back to their Lord, Rehoboam king of Judah, and they will kill me and go back to Rehoboam king of Judah. So he's reasoning this in his heart. You see, the spiritual battle was there Here's the spiritual promise that God wanted to get to Jeroboam. He promised it to him. He wanted to get it to him. He told him what he needed to do in the realm of the Spirit to win this thing. The enemy comes in, clouds it up, gets him distracted to go after the flesh. If you don't deal with this flesh and blood area, if you don't deal with this natural area, and they keep going back to Jerusalem, they will go back to David. And so he believed that, and he began to fight the battle in that realm. And that's when he came up with these ideas. Of course, they didn't just come from him. The enemy fed these things to them. Therefore, the king asked advice, made two calves of gold, and said to the people, It is too much for you to go up to Jerusalem. Here are your gods, O Israel, which brought you up from the land of Egypt. And he set up one in Bethel, and the other he put in Dan. Now this thing became a sin for the people, went to worship before the one as far as Dan. So here's a great example of a distraction. There was the spiritual promise. There was a spiritual blessing. There was something in the Word that God said, I will do this. Very often Christians, we have a promise in the Word. God says, I will do this. 
But we don't do the things we need to do in faith. We don't do the things we need to do in obedience. We don't do the things that God has uh, asked us to do. But we still want the spiritual blessing. This is where Jeroboam is. And we know, if you kept on going and read this story, the prophet is sent to rebuke him and to tell him this is not going to happen now because he, he left. He went after the thing in the flesh. Abraham at least turned his situation around. And though he went after the flesh immediately, he changed it. So we are distracted in the battling symptoms. That's one of the things we'll, we'll be distracted to battle is, uh, is symptoms. Sometimes Christians just go and they deny the symptoms. We don't have to deny the symptoms. We try and uh, treat for the symptoms. Well, if I can just uh, take an aspirin and get rid of the, this thing over here. Oh, all right, you got rid of the symptom, but just because we got rid of the symptom doesn't mean we dealt with the real problem. They get distracted in battling reports. We've talked about this numerous times. People are always, a lot of times people are trying to believe God. I need to believe God for a good report. I need a good report to come out on this. I need the doctors to come out and tell me things are going better. That's turning a spiritual battle into something that's natural. The enemy loves it. It gets us out of the battle that we're supposed to be in and puts us into a battle we're not supposed to be in. We battle people's opinion and attitudes. If you take on something spiritual, if you take on a direction, if God shows you something in your family, you need to make this stand. You need to go after this thing. And when you do that, the kids put up a fuss. They have an attitude. They have an opinion. And sometimes we get swayed by the flesh and blood that is before us instead of hanging on to what the spiritual battle is and doing what God has said. Uh, very often, we look at things that are going on in our country and we have uh, opinions about what's behind it. We have uh, seen attitudes in leaders in our country and we're trying to change those attitudes and we're trying to battle the opinions that people have. But we have to remember... That's not our, our battle. Very often we, we are spend more time in prayer to take authority over the spiritual forces that are causing the attitudes, that are causing the waves that we see, that are causing the opinions that are in people. Because you can battle all day long and try and convince and try and show them, but look at, look at this, see this thing over here, and you don't get anywhere with it. Very often, you just need to wash your hands on it. Well, you know, it's, I'm not here to convince you. The prophets are never told you need to convince the people of the word. They're only told to speak the word. It's the same thing for us in other matters. There are things that this, the enemy wants to do with countries, with leaders. We see some of them in the word. I can see some of the things in the Word of God showing me this part over here. This attitude was in this country, was with this king, was with this leader in the Bible. If it's in the Bible, here it is in the Bible, here it is again in the Bible, here it is again in the Bible, here it is in this prophecy. And we see it in all these things. That's probably the same forces we're facing here. You can go out there and you can tell people that. Uh, they decide, no, I'm not going to believe it. Well, you told them. you got to make sure that you at least tell them. You just... Get in there and declare it. But there's always people's opinions and people's attitudes that will be there. Be there. Another one that can distract us in the battle and the wrong things is how I feel physically or emotionally. How I feel physically and emotionally. You see, um, yeah, we all know that people that are on a pro level in sports, NBA, 
Major League Baseball, Pro Football, these folks, when they're on the field and they get hurt, the expectation of the people on the sidelines is if you can walk, you should be out there. And a lot of times the, the players feel like if I can walk, I should be out there. And so we've heard of, of things going on with players who have just done, played with a, a, a broken leg or a broken arm or a dislocated shoulder. Who's that one quarterback who uh, on a, had a hit and dislocated his shoulder, but it wasn't his throwing arm? And it was in one of the big games. I, I can't remember who it was on that one, but uh, I remember seeing the highlight from it. And I watched the highlight, and uh, he actually came off the field because he just, he's holding his arm. It, it's not a throwing his arm. He's holding his arm. Oh, man, it hurt, it hurt. And um, I was Detroit, somebody from Detroit. It was a Detroit player. Uh, I believe that he just left for another team. It, I think that's the quarterback that it was. But uh, anyway, he was over there. Uh, holding that holding that arm and the other team made a mistake and called a timeout and so they they called the timeout because of that the way the rules were even though he had to come out because he was injured because the other team called a timeout he could go back in so he's there let me back in let me get in it's not my throwing arm it's not my throwing arm Stafford there it is okay thank you and so he has his, his arm is dangling he, he can barely do anything with it he, he gets the ball, and he throws a touchdown pass, and they win the game. I remember watching the highlight. It was, it was spectacular to watch. And uh, the guy was in incredible pain. And after afterwards, he just kind of crumbled from it all. But, oh, what a play it was. It was just one of those things you get to see. But we kind of expected out of, out of those guys, they're getting paid big bucks, but there's a drive that's on the inside of them that says, no, no matter how I feel physically, I need to push myself out there. I need to get out there, and I need to, to do this this thing but for for most people if we feel a little hurt oh i just need to to rest this thing up if i feel emotionally well i just don't feel emotionally i'm i'm really there today um i'm just not really ready for this battle no we've got to get up for the battle like these guys get up for the battle they're up for the big game they're going no no put me in don't don't take me out on this thing i can go back in i can go back in and get back in there and and you fight those things how you feel physically and how you feel emotionally can sideline you from fighting the spiritual battle into fighting one that is more physical, one, one that is more flesh and blood. But he says we do not wrestle against flesh and blood. So if I am wrestling against flesh and blood and I am using the, the armor that God has given me, this armor is not made for flesh and blood. We're going to see that more as we go along. But he says here again, for we do not wrestle against flesh and blood but against, and then he tells about the things that we are against. It doesn't matter what distracts you. Just so you're not distracted from the actual battle. All kinds of things may come, and you may look at it, you may, uh, but get your mind back into the game. Put yourself back over here. In politics, you can have a, a scandal can be a bad thing to have exposed, but if it distracts from something worse, it can be seen as good. We don't want people looking at this problem over here. If you're looking at the scandal, then let's go with that. They made a movie about this. I think I've mentioned it a time or two. Wag the Dog, in which there was a scandal coming out for the president, who was, uh, I think it's a fictitious president. And so what they decided to do is they got a Hollywood producer who orchestrated a fake war 
and they put this thing on the news. They had a fake war going on, and everyone was totally encompassed with the fake war that the real scandal wasn't uh, getting any of the attention. So sometimes the enemy will do this to you as well. He's going to try and wag the dog. He's going to try and get you to focus on what's not important so that you are not battling the real issue. I'd rather that you fight the waves than you fight the wind. Because as long as the disciples fought the waves in that spiritual battle, they were going to lose. They realized they were losing, and they weren't going to lose, and that they were going to die. The enemy knows that. Let's go on here and look at this again. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood. Okay, that's where the battle is not. That's not where we're going. We need to get out of the flesh and blood realm. It's hard because that's, that's what's in front of us. That's what screams attention. But against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. Now this does seem to indicate a hierarchy of power. There are the principalities which seem to be the generals or those that are over the, the armies. Uh, against the powers, these seem to be the ones that are under those generals and are orchestrating things uh, from orders that they have from the principalities, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. Now, we may spend more time and look at these, but uh, you will notice here uh, what's, what's mentioned, principalities, powers, rulers of the darkness of this age, spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places, None of these seem to be demon spirits. They seem to be the powers that are behind them. Now, there are people in the Bible who were not distracted, but battled principalities and powers, and they fought against them. I'm going to give you a couple of them here, and you can go and think on some more. But Daniel was one in Daniel chapter 6, verse 10. Now, when Daniel knew that the writing was signed, this is the law that they had made because they said we're not going to get Daniel except in the area of his God. There was a spiritual battle that was going on for the country. Daniel was contending to bring the spiritual awareness of the country, of the king, of the powers who ruled the land into obedience to the word of God. The enemy didn't like this. The enemy was trying to use this power over the earth in an evil way. It's part of the beast. Daniel is battling the beast of Revelation here. He doesn't know he's battling the beast of Revelation. He did get the vision of the five-staged or the five staged, uh, person. He, he knows that there's uh, five kingdoms, but the beast in Revelation has seven. Daniel just uh, skipped the first couple of them. He wasn't uh, battling that one, but he's battling two. He battled Babylon. And he battled uh, uh, the Persian, the Medo-Persian Empire. So here in this particular one, the enemy, Satan, not just the enemy of, of um, uh, Christianity in the world, wants to take this nation in a direction of pure evil and accomplish pure evil in it. Accomplish things against the, uh, the people of God. And Daniel is a, uh, a cog in that. He's... he's plugging it all up. We need to get rid of him. So the principalities and powers empower those that will listen to him to be jealous and angry with Daniel. We need to get rid of him. And so they try and come up with a way to get rid of him, but it's the principalities and powers that are behind it 
because we've got to remove Daniel from being in this place because he has a boldness, he has a wisdom that so far we haven't been able to contradict and it's keeping the kingdom from going into the evil direction that we wanted it to go, that the enemy, the devil, wants it to go into. So, they orchestrated this, this thing. No one can make a request to, of any god or any person, anything, until uh, for 30 days. And they had to make it of you. So when Daniel knew that the writing was signed, he went home. And in his upper room, with his windows open toward Jerusalem, he knelt down on his knees three times that day and prayed and gave thanks before his God as his custom since early days. It's interesting that he did it three times, it says. It, they didn't come and get him on the first time. They didn't come and get him on the second time. He was able to accomplish three times that he prayed. They may have been, I'm sure that they were watching. He has the windows open. This is the way that he did it. We've talked about this many times. Daniel knows something is going on. But he does not try to stop it. He doesn't use his ability in the natural to stop this. Because he realizes this is a spiritual battle for the kingdom. If he were to go in and to cause this law to not be signed, if he exposed this law for what it was, then the law wouldn't have been written and what happened after that would never have been accomplished. So let's go on with this. Then these men assembled and found Daniel praying and making supplication before his God. And they went before the king and spoke concerning the king's decree. Have you not signed the decree that every man who petitions any god or man within 30 days except you, O king, shall be cast into the den of lions? The king answered and said, The thing is true according to the law of Medes and Persians which does not alter. So they answered and said before the king that Daniel, who is one of the captives from Judah, does not show due regard for you, king, or for the decree that you have signed, but makes his petition three times a day. Now, maybe they wanted to be able to say three times, and they knew he would say, do it three times, but uh, they didn't just come on the first. And the king, when he heard these words, was greatly displeased with himself. Now, he wasn't mad at them. He's mad at himself for not seeing this and set his heart on Daniel to deliver him, and he labored till the going down of the sun to deliver him. Then these men approached the king and said to the king, Know, O king, that it is the law of the Medes and Persians, that no decree or statute which the king establishes may be changed. So the king gave the command, and they brought Daniel and cast him into the den of lions. But the king spoke, saying to Daniel, Your God, whom you serve continually, he will deliver you. So the king realizes at this point that this is the battle to get Daniel out. I don't know that he knows all the spiritual things that were behind it, but Daniel knew the spiritual implication that was behind it. And he never tries to stop it. And he doesn't try and cover up what he does. And he knows this is not just about me and my habit of praying. This is something greater. Then a stone was brought and laid at the mouth of the den, and the king sealed it with his own signet ring and with the signets of his lord's that the purpose concerning Daniel might not be changed. Now the king went to his palace, spent the night fasting, and no musicians were brought before him. Also his sleep went from him. Then the king rose very early in the morning, went in haste of the den of lions. When he came to the den, he cried out with a lamenting voice to Daniel. The king spoke, saying to Daniel, Daniel, servant of the living God, has your God, whom you serve continually, been able to deliver you from the lions? Daniel said to the king, O king, live forever. My, my God sent his angel and shut the lion's mouth so that they have not hurt me. Because I, have, because I was found innocent before him, and also, O king, I have done no wrong before you. 
Now the king was exceedingly glad for him and commanded they should take Daniel up out of the den. So Daniel was taken up out of the den and no injury whatever was found on him because he believed in his God. Then the king gave the command and they brought those men who had accused Daniel and they cast them into the den of lions, them, their children, and their wives. And the lions overpowered them and broke all their bones in pieces before they ever came to the bottom of the den. Then King Darius wrote to all the people's nations, language that dwell in all the earth, peace, be multiplied to you. We'll go and read this rest in just a minute. But see this, that the people who had this idea to get the good out, the people who the enemy was able to use to drive the good out of the kingdom and cause the bad to prosper, would not have been brought to light had Daniel not done this. But because he did this, spent the night in the lion's den, it was exposed. Once it was exposed and the king, his attitude towards them was, was uh, mad. he was mad at them, he throws them in and so that much, evil. he didn't get rid of all the evil because I'm sure not everybody exposed themselves, but he threw them in the den of lions. They all died. Now other people that are in the kingdom that are going to try and move towards this are now afraid. I don't know, we can't, we can't step forward right now. The atmosphere is not there. And so what Daniel did was he fought a spiritual battle in the spiritual realm. So much so that angels came and calmed the natural lions from devouring him and eating him. But those natural men who were influenced by the spiritual forces were destroyed. Daniel didn't fight the waves, he fought the wind. Then King Darius wrote to all peoples, nations, and languages that dwell in all the earth, Peace be multiplied to you. I make a decree that in every dominion of my kingdom men must tremble and fear before the God of Daniel, for he is the living God. And steadfast forever his kingdom is the one which shall not be destroyed, and his dominion shall endure to the end. He delivers and rescues, and he works signs and wonders in heaven and on earth. Who has delivered Daniel from the power of the lion? So this Daniel prospered in the reign of Darius and in the reign of Cyrus the Persian. So what they meant for destruction, God turned it around for good. A decree from the king went out, declared the goodness of God, declared what Daniel had done, declared what God had done on behalf of Daniel. Everyone in the kingdom now knew how strong God was, what God had done, and what the devil tried to do to silence the, the wisdom of God from coming to the leaders of the land actually caused it to promote the things of God. So that's how you take on a spiritual battle through the use of spiritual armor. Another example, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, they didn't battle the king or his demand. They didn't make their behavior on, on, that, on natural promises. We see that in Daniel chapter 3. It's read a few of the verses that are here in the story. After they didn't bow, Nebuchadnezzar finds out about it. Verse 13, Then Nebuchadnezzar, in rage and fury, gave the command to bring Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. So they brought these men before the king. Nebuchadnezzar spoke, saying to them, Is it true, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you do not serve my gods or worship the gold image which I have set up? Now if you are ready at the time you hear the sound of the horn, flute, harp, lyre, psaltery, in symphony with all kinds of music, and you fall down and worship the image which I have made, good. But if you do not worship, you shall be cast immediately into the midst of the burning, fiery furnace. And who is the God who would deliver you from my hands? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego 
answered and said to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to answer you in this matter. If that is the case, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the burning fiery furnace and he will deliver us from your hand, O king. But if not, let it be known to you, O king, that we do not serve your gods nor will we worship the gold image which you have set up. Many times we mis- misread this or it has been misread into saying that if our, if our God does deliver us, great. If our God does not deliver us, great. We're still not going to bow down. That's not what it said at all. They said our God is able to deliver us from your burning fiery furnace. That's it. There's no if about it. What the if is, is if you play the music, that's fine. If you don't play the music, it's fine. We don't care if you play the music. We don't care if you don't play the music. We're not going to bow down. And that's why he got so mad. He's trying to give them another opportunity. See, the devil is trying to give another opportunity to fight this on a flesh and blood level. But these folks, they wouldn't do it. No, we're going we're to stay in the spiritual realm. We're going to battle this in the spiritual realm. This is a spiritual battle to take the nation in a direction to worship a golden uh, image, an image that is not God, an image that distracts from God, an image that uplifts man. We're not going to give into it. We see the spiritual uh, effect. People are trying to turn uh, the people away from God and towards this idol. Brand new idol. We're not going to have it. We're not going to go with it. We are going to fight this battle, but we're not going to fight it on the natural side. Nope. Natural side is, you know, if you stay alive, you can do more about this. Uh, We don't care about staying alive. Our God is able to deliver us, and He will deliver us from your fiery furnace, O King. But you can play the music. You can not play the music. We are not bowing down to your image. Because that's the only thing he said. I'll play the music again for you right now. If, you, if I play it again right now, if you listen, and they said, we don't care whether you play it again or not. We are not bowing down to your image. And so they took something that was uh, spiritual, kept the battle in the spiritual realm, and then won. And they turned this whole thing around, and so no one had to bow down to it. Another instance, we're not going to read this one. You can go back and and read this one in the book of Judges, that Gideon, he started out looking at the flesh and blood battle. He kept comparing his forces with theirs. He kept comparing his strength with what God said. That was a flesh and He kept being pulled into the flesh and blood realm. But that changed by the time of the battle. He saw by the time of the battle that natural forces will make no difference in the success of the battle that this is a spiritual battle that these folks have been allowed to spiritually oppress our nation because of the disobedience that we had that open the door but god desires to bring deliverance and that's why he brought this up to me so it makes no difference what strength we have in the natural because this battle is not a flesh and blood battle if it was a flesh and blood battle we need every man we can get But it's not a flesh and blood battle. It is a spiritual battle. All we have to do is get an obedience to do what God said. And no matter how many we have on the field of battle, God's power will come down and we will win. He got himself to that point where he was convinced about that. Elisha, there was an army that surrounded the city in 2 Kings chapter 6. His servant was distracted by the flesh and blood aspect of the battle. We are surrounded. We don't have anything near the forces that are necessary. 
But, there, but all he could do was see the flesh and blood battle. Elisha saw the spiritual battle. And so he prays, Lord, open his eyes that he may see. And when he opened his eyes, he saw the host of, uh, of angels that were around the city. That they were not without help. That these angels were there. And so then Elisha just goes down to the midst of them and said, Who are you looking for? Uh, well, we're looking for Elisha. I'll take you to him. And so he took him right into the area of Samaria. They went right into the midst of the city, didn't know anything was going on. The army surrounded, had them surrounded. And then their eyes were open and they saw where they were and the situation they were in. And he said, Feed them, send them home. And so they did. They were fighting a spiritual battle in the spiritual realm. Now, there were times when a spiritual force was, uh, when, when a spiritual force was the battle. This was a spiritual battle, but God's instructions were to go, leave, flee, don't fight. And so you have to be obedient to those things. Joseph, he was told to flee to Egypt. And John in the book of Revelation tells us of the great spiritual battle that took place. Talks about the, the battle that happened when, um, uh, when the uh, woman gave birth and the, uh, the, the uh, dragon came after the woman and was trying to destroy the woman, was trying to destroy the, the child. And this is the battle that went on when Joseph and Mary had the baby. There was a battle, there was a spiritual battle that was taking place there. John gives us the picture of everything spiritual that was going on in this battle. This was a spiritual battle. But God doesn't tell Joseph to take this battle on in the spirit. He says, get out. Get out and go on down to Egypt. And so they went on down to Egypt, and after he was down in Egypt for a little while, then they came back. In Matthew chapter 2, verse 13, Now when they had departed, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream, saying, Arise, take the young child and his mother, flee to Egypt, and stay there until I bring you word, for Herod will seek the young child to destroy him. We don't know from the Gospels the spiritual battle that was going on, but in the book of Revelation, when John saw this this battle taking place and he saw the dragon waiting for the child to be born and he's ready to to go after the child and the child was taken away and he went after the descendants of the child that was a spiritual battle but they weren't told to fight it they were told to go Paul in Acts chapter 9 was facing a spiritual battle because he had just gotten converted and he was taking all that he knew about the Old Testament and showing Christ in it and there's people in the city of Jerusalem who didn't like this. And they were going to come against Paul. They wanted to kill Paul. The devil knows that if Paul got converted to the other side, he's been a great help for us on this side. If he is that kind of help on God's side, we're in trouble. We need to stop this. And so there is a spiritual battle that takes place. We need Paul dead. And what would have, how would that have changed things in the New Testament if Paul would have been killed? Now, God probably would have had somebody else that he could have stood up and, and put into place. And we know that God always has another way to go. But I'm sure glad that Paul didn't die, that Paul was there. What a great uh, testimony he was for us and the, the things that God was able to give him. And he didn't get a big head out of any, any of that and uh, taught us so many wonderful things. We thank God for all, all that went on. But here in Acts chapter 9, they tried to get this to stop. They were going to kill Paul. They found out about it. And uh, they let him down in the, um, uh, in the basket, going through the wall. Let him, get, get out. There's the, here's the plot. Go. 
they could have fought this thing spiritually, but God didn't say to do that. If God doesn't say to fight it that way, then you've got to do what God says because you're not fighting it spiritually if you disobey God. And so they got Paul out of the city and he went on and uh, they still tried to come after him and kill him at some other times, but that sure was a, was a big one in the, in the beginning. Now when a battle is spiritual, I'm going to summarize this here at the end for you, but I'm going to give you a little bit more of a longer aspect of it, and then here at the end we'll summarize it for you, because it's easier to remember the summary than it's going to be to remember what I'm going to tell you here. But when a battle is spiritual, it will appear in natural things. You are a flesh and blood person living in a natural realm. So there, this is where the effects of the battle are seen. The spiritual battle that came up on that lake and caused the the uh, waves to come into the boat, to sink the boat. We all know, we've, we've spent time on that story before. Jesus had a purpose. He went to the other side just to, to get that demon out of the one or the two people that was there uh, in, the, in the cemetery, in the tomb. And then he uh, gets in the boat and comes on back. That was his purpose. And that was such a stronghold for the devil. The devil was ready to kill Jesus on the way with a sinking of a boat. There was a spiritual battle. We're not having any, any mention of a storm. We don't have any mention of rain. We only have mention of wind that came up. It was a very unusual storm. It got the uh, disciples uh, perplexed. It got them afraid. They didn't see this storm coming. They're used to the storms coming up on a, on a quick basis, but they didn't see any of the signs that anything was coming. They get in the boat. They go on over to the other side. They're about ready to go down. They go wake Jesus up. Jesus comes, calms the, the storm. There was a spiritual battle that was there. They were fighting the waves. Whenever you face a spiritual battle, it will materialize in waves of some kind. Something natural is going to come against you. You have to understand the natural thing is not what I'm facing. There, I've, I've heard two people who uh, told stories similar on this. Uh, Rick Renner tells the story before he had gone over to the um, Soviet Union to bring the gospel over there that he had a uh, ministry over here in the States and according to him, I just heard him tell this uh, testimony a little bit ago, he was having over 400 meetings a year. That's a lot of meetings. That's uh, a lot of days with double meetings. I don't, I don't even know how you can fit 400 meetings in in the, in the course of the year. But that's what he said he was, he was up to. And then he said all of a sudden you know, the, the offerings were coming in, the ministry was growing, they were able to do all the different things they were able to do, and then he said all of a sudden, things began to happen. And the offerings weren't coming, and he said pastors were stealing the offering from the, and that, that Brother Hagin used to talk about that too, that happened uh, a lot. They would say, oh, this is going to Brother Rick, or they would say, oh, this is going to uh, 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 Brother Hagin, and they would keep it. They would say, oh, too much, that's too much money for one person to get, and they would, they would keep some of that. And uh, Brother Hagin tells a story one time. <laughs> he didn't know what was, all this was going on, but he said as he was preaching, he just felt that, and he sat down next to a guy that was on the front row, and he says, do you know they're trying to steal my offering? And when he, the pastor came and told him, he says, later on, he said, I wanted to hold open up and just, because uh, this was the guy who was heading the whole thing, trying to, to get them to, to, to take that offering and not give it to you. But that was going on with, uh, with Brother Rick, and uh, he thought they had a money problem. And God told him, he says, you don't have a money problem. 
there's a spiritual problem. And he showed them the spiritual problem, how to take advantage of that, how to take, uh, go after that. Brother Hagen had a similar thing in what he was doing because he was out there on the road and barely making enough money to put gas in the car, let alone send stuff back and, and get things uh, going for the family. And he just was uh, uh, on the floor many a night just pouring his heart out to God and uh, a lot of times complaining. And God dealt with him, not going to get into the whole, whole story of all that, but God dealt with him. And then once he got himself right in that, God showed him, this is how you need to, to pray about this and uh, how, to, how to deal with that. And he dealt with the forces that were behind it. And once that opened up, then things were able to, to change for him. But no matter what you face in the spirit, it's going to have some kind of an appearance in the natural. There are going to be some kind of waves that come up because that's where you live. It can be a spiritual battle that materializes in something natural in your body. It can be a, a spiritual battle that materializes somewhere in your mind. It can be a material battle or a, a spiritual battle that materializes in your workplace, in your um, in, the, in the amount of uh, business that comes to you in your in your business. It can be all sorts of things, but it's going to affect you in the natural. But it doesn't mean that what is coming against you natural is your problem. If it's a spiritual battle, then you've got to determine what is the spiritual forces that we are at war with here that we are fighting. So the first thing I want you to know is it will appear in the natural things. It will appear. If it's a spiritual battle, it will appear in natural things. Now, natural battles appear in natural things too. But if it's a spiritual battle, it's going to appear in natural things. Don't expect it to appear some kind of supernatural thing. It's going to appear in natural stuff. All those examples that we have. Daniel had a spiritual problem that ended up with him having a lion's den problem. Hananiah, Azariah, uh, Mishael. They had a spiritual problem that materialized as a fiery furnace problem. Abraham and Sarah had a spiritual problem, spiritual battle, that materialized as a Hagar problem. The disciples were in the midst of a spiritual battle that appeared as a wind and wave problem. All these spiritual battles, there is a natural element that they will come against, that they will material in, materialize in. But it doesn't mean that that's where the battle is. When one wave is finished, another is often on the way. When you are involved in a spiritual battle, when one wave is finished, another is often on the way. Waves don't mean you are in the wrong place. Sometimes we think, well, I just get done this thing, and then this hits me. And then I just get done this, and then this hits me. And then this hits me. And then this I don't know if I can take much more. Oh, it just keeps hitting me over and over. Wave after wave. After, I must be doing it wrong. I must be going in the wrong place. Waves belong in the ocean, not in the boat. So ignoring them is not fighting a spiritual battle. Waves can sink you. You've got to deal with them. But if you deal with them as waves, and it's a spiritual battle, you will lose. The disciples fought the waves, but eventually came to the spot that doesn't do us any good to fight them anymore, we're going to lose. Christian and non-Christian people around you will give in to the spiritual influence being used by the enemy like Peter was against Jesus 
or Sarah was used against Abraham, or Jewish people were used against Paul. Christian and non-Christian people around you will give into the spiritual influence. That spiritual battle is going on. There are people around you. Some of them are saved, some of them are not. Some of them are going to give in. You cannot stop them from allowing themselves to be used in this way, but you can take authority over it like Jesus did. So here's a summary of these things. The spiritual battles, first off, appear natural with repeating waves that sink boats and use people. Spiritual battles appear natural with repeating waves that sink boats and use people. You're going to have people in your life like Peter who try and rebuke you. You're going to have Peter in your life like Paul had with those who tried to kill him. Supposed to be serving the same God. You're going to have Peter, people in your life who when Abraham's over there trying to believe God fight this spiritual battle and his wife comes and says, hey, let's do it this way. And he gives in. So spiritual battles appear natural with repeating waves that sink boats and use people. You must stand up to the forces behind them. It's up to you. You've got to be the one. Abraham had to stand up for his spiritual battle. Daniel was in the place to stand up for his spiritual battle. Hananiah, Azariah, Mishael, they were in a place to stand up for their spiritual battle. Other people may have stood up. Other people may have succumbed. But those were the three that were in a position that their standing up would take this thing on. Daniel changed the course of two different kingdoms because of what he did in the spiritual battles. You can change a lot of things if you face the battles the way they need to be faced. So again, let's read our, our scripture. That's here. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. Now notice that he gave you all five of, I'm sorry, all four of these uh, hierarchy of powers. And he says that you wrestle against them. You wrestle against principalities. You wrestle against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age and against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. We didn't pull everything out of this verse here tonight, but uh, I think that's enough for one time. <laughs> so we're going to be taking on this and, and uh, eventually we're going to get to the armor, but it's more important that we cover everything before. There's a particular word study that's in this section of Scripture that has been the biggest challenge for me for a word study of any word that I've ever come up. And I'm still working on it. I spent a lot of uh, work on it yesterday and today and um, trying to, to break this thing out. But there's, a, there's something here that I need to, to get, so uh, we're still, still working on that, that particular word study. Uh, there's, when I go over it, I'll, I'll show you some of the things that made this harder than, just, than any word study I've ever done. This has been the hardest one I've, I've taken on. But uh, I think it'll be worthwhile once we, once we get there. Father, we thank you.
that you have told us what our fight is against, what our battle is, is up against, that we are prepared for it. You've given us examples in Scripture that we can look at and we can see the results from. And I thank you for the help that you give us in what things we battle. For we are fighting some spiritual battles that have materialized in a flesh and blood arena. And the enemy would try and distract us to battle these things in a flesh and blood way. But we don't wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, and against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. And I thank you that we also win in these battles because of the armor that you've given us. In the name of Jesus we pray. Amen.